This is episode 8 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today we're looking at topics that range from medical to financial to campfire cooking, specifically Dutch oven cooking. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. So let's go ahead and get started. Hey, our first article comes to us from Doom and Bloom, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's website. And uh, it's part two of um, the allergy article that we read earlier. And uh, the title of this one is Anaphylaxis Causes Diagnosis and Treatment. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. In a disaster or any other situation that takes us off the grid, we will expose ourselves to insect stings and poison ivy, as well as strange food items that we aren't accustomed to. Allergic reactions may ensue in susceptible individuals. When we develop an allergic reaction, it might be mild or it might be severe. If severe enough, we refer to it as anaphylaxis or anaphylactic shock. Anaphylaxis is the word used for serious and rapid allergic reactions involving one or more parts of the body which can become life-threatening. Anaphylactic reactions were first identified when researchers tried to protect dogs against a certain poison by desynthesizing them with small doses. Instead of being protected, many of the dogs died suddenly and second time they got the poison. The word used for preventative protection is prophylaxis. Think of a condom, also known as a prophylactic. A condom protects you from sexually transmitted disease. The word anaphylaxis, therefore, means the opposite of protection. The dog experiment allowed scientists to understand that the same can happen in humans and had application to asthma and other immune responses. Severe allergic reactions may cause body-wide reactions called anaphylaxis that can be life-threatening. Anaphylaxis has become a timely issue because of the increased number of cases being reported throughout the world. When drugs are the cause, the explanation is likely that we are simply using a lot of them these days. Why food should be causing anaphylaxis more often, however, is more perplexing. Is genetic manipulation of food crops to blame? Could contaminants be an issue? Or perhaps pollution in general? In any case, the cause of many anaphylactic events is never identified. Most are lumped into idiopathic category, another word for unknown. The likely causes of anaphylaxis are drugs, dyes injected during x-rays, antibiotics like penicillin, anesthetics, aspirin, ibuprofen, and even some heart and blood pressure medicines, foods like nuts, fruit, and seafood, insect stings, bees and yellow jacket, wasps especially, latex like rubber gloves uh, made of latex, especially in healthcare workers, exercise, exercise often in, after eating, idiopathic, this word means of unknown cause, a substantial percentage of cases. Fumes from chemicals like chlorine gas and other toxins can be dangerous in their own right without causing an immune or anaphylactic reaction. Um, there is a, a nice little graphic here that you might want to check out when you go to the website. Although few die from simple allergic reactions, anaphylaxis is much more severe and without uh, intervention, the victim can die from respiratory or cardiac arrest. Body-wide swelling and rashes far from the site of a bee sting, for example, would be an example of an anaphylactic reaction. Other symptoms are exaggerated versions of typical allergy symptoms, which 
with perhaps the addition of lowered blood pressure and fainting. In some cases, abdominal tract symptoms like cramping or diarrhea could be seen. Treating anaphylaxis. The treatment for anaphylactic shock is straightforward, epinephrine via injection. Other methods of delivery, such as oral doses of antihistamines, are generally too slow in their effect to be of much use. Known as adrenaline in Europe, epinephrine is given via auto-injector, with the most popular being the Myelin Corporation's EpiPen. The process is simple with the dose delivered to the upper outer thigh. Once given, epinephrine narrows blood vessels and opens airways in the lungs. These effects can reverse hives, swelling, severe wheezing, low blood pressure, severe skin itching, and hives. A recent 600% price hike from the company that makes the EpiPen may put the drug out of the financial reach of many. If the auto-injector isn't an option, vials or amples of epinephrine are available by prescription. Just a a little side note, we do have a friend who works in uh, a pharmacy. There are... Uh, generic versions of uh, epinephrine or like EpiPens and then there are times when you can uh, find coupons and stuff so definitely get them a lot uh, cheaper than you would um, the EpiPen version so you just kind of have to search it out and hopefully your your insurance if you do have insurance will take care of it okay let's go ahead and keep going here one to 1,000 epinephrine solution contains one milligram of drug per milliliter or cc of solution. For a person weighing 30 kilograms, 66 pounds or greater, give 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams or 0.3 to 0.5 milliliters into the anterolateral thigh about, above, about the level of the bottom of your jean pocket. Repeat the doses every 5 to 10 minutes, alternating left and right thighs until improvement is noted. One dose is often sufficient. Remember that epinephrine will cause a fast heartbeat, nervousness, and perhaps a number of other side effects. Of course, get the victim to modern medical care as soon as possible. The hygiene hypothesis. The increased number of allergies seen in the modern world may actually be the product of good parenting. Our efforts to keep our children with their noses wiped and their hands clean are helpful to stop colds and flus, but may be a factor in making them more prone to allergies and infections later on. In 1989, researcher Dr. David Strachan suggested the hypothesis that the failure of children to be exposed to infectious bugs and parasites may be responsible for the epidemic of allergic conditions like asthma. This was called the hygiene hypothesis. The lack of exposure to microbes has since been tied to other diseases ranging from hay fever to multiple sclerosis. When most of us lived on farms or in less than pristine cities, we were exposed to plenty of germs from a young age due to time spent outside with animals or with lots of other people. Now the majority of kids aren't motivated to go outside or certainly get dirty. In the final analysis, never getting dirty as a child may be hazardous to your future health. Here are some things you might consider. Avoid antibiotics. The medical profession may have been remiss in overprescribing antibiotics, but there are antibiotics in food as well. Indeed, 70-80% to 80% of antibiotics are given to livestock not to treat infection but to make them, make them grow faster and get them to market sooner. Stick with antibiotic-free eggs, milk, and meat. Avoid antibacterial soaps. Uh, triclosan, the active antibiotic ingredient in many brands, has recently been banned by the FDA due to the risk of antibiotic resistance and the lack of evidence of any medical benefit. Use regular soap and water for washing. Tailor hand washing strategies to the situation. 
If you're in a city where open sewers run through the streets and people are tossing buckets of excrement out the window, have your kids wash their hands conscientiously. In clean environments where there isn't a raging epidemic, however, don't freak out over dirty hands. Don't bathe every day. Not only should your kids be exposed to dirt to develop their immune system, but bathing too often might do more harm than good. Daily showers remove protective skin oils and causes drying and irritation. You're also washing away the good bacteria that lives on your skin. Get your kid a pet. Not every kid has the good fortune of living on a farm, but they'll benefit from a furry pet. Dogs seem to give more resistance to colds and uh, give more or get more resistance to colds and allergic skin conditions like eczema than cats, but early cat exposure might give more protection against asthma. Why not have both? Get your kids outside when they're young. In these days, when we have legitimate concerns about children's safety, you might be reluctant to let your kids go outside by themselves. Here's an idea. Go out with them to parks, wilderness areas, and other places where both adults and kids can reap real benefits. How about helping them plant and manage a garden? The more you encourage outdoor activity early, the more they become part of the next generation's culture. Let the kids get a little dirty, and you might give them a healthier future. All right, so this uh, this article does have special meaning to me. Uh, my wife uh, developed a, an allergic reaction to shrimp uh, late in life. Uh, we were eating one day and eating seafood at a restaurant, and all of a sudden she she thought it was just it wasn't cooked right, it didn't taste right. Um, she kind of felt her, her lip kind of being uh, felt a little funny, and uh, we just kind of went from there. The next time she had shrimp, her her lip swelled. And uh, it's, so it's not, it's moved, it was just with shrimp, and she uh, could eat fish and other things like that. And then it went to, you know, fish and then, you know, tuna. And, and now it's, it's pretty severe. Even when we go to a restaurant, we have to make sure that they know that um, anything that she eats, it can't touch it. You know, even if it's, um, if it's cooked around it or even if the utensils so it's, it's become more severe along the lines so you know you need to know that you might not have a, uh, an allergic reaction right now but definitely uh, it could develop over time and that's something to to definitely consider and you should know the signs and there is a, a sign of uh, or at least uh, dr bones and nurse amy have pictures um on on their website so definitely again you always want to go check out the website but they do have uh, a picture here of lips that are swelling. And so I'm very, very familiar with that one. All right, let's go ahead and go on to the next uh, article. And this comes to us from The Economic Collapse. It's Michael Schneider's um, website. Um, love Michael Schneider's uh, you know, articles. He does a good job of uh, tying it to data and other sources. It's not just his opinion. And definitely economics and uh, looking out for the economics of where we are, that's something definitely that we need to be paying attention to. So, um, you know, we, we read his articles. I think his articles are, are important. So the title of this one is Retail Apocalypse Gains Momentum as David Stockman warns everything will grind to a halt after March 15th. So uh, just for the sake of uh, the date, I'm reading this on February 28th. Um, this will be re- released. This podcast will be released uh, later tonight in, or March 1st. So um, just FYI there as, I, as I'm reading this one. So let's go ahead and get started on this one. JCPenney and Family Christian Stores are the latest retail giants to announce widespread store closings. As you will see below, JCPenney plans to close between 130 and 140 stores, and Family Christian is closing all of their 240 stores. 
In recent months, the stock market has been absolutely soaring, and so most people have simply assumed that the real economy must be doing well. But that is not the case at all. In fact, the retail apocalypse that I have been documenting for quite some time appears to be gaining momentum. JCPenney's is not in as rough shape as Sears is just yet, but it definitely on a similar trajectory. In the end, they are both headed for bankruptcy. That is why it wasn't too much of a surprise when JCPenney's announced that they are getting rid of about 6,000 workers and closing at least 130 stores. Quote, JCPenney's or JCP plans to close 130 to 140 stores and offer buyouts to 6,000 workers as the department store industry sags in competition with online sellers and nimble niche retailers. The company said Friday that it would shutter 13 to 14 percent of its locations and introduce new goods and services aimed at the shifting preferences of its customer base. End quote. Meanwhile, many observers were quite surprised when family Christian stores decided to fold up shop for good. They were known as the largest Christian retailer on the entire planet, but now, after 85 years, they are going out of business forever. Quote, Family Christian, which bills itself as the world's largest retailer of Christian-themed merchandise, announced Thursday it is closing after 85 years. The nonprofit company, employing more than 3,000 people in 240 stores in 36 states, said in a brief statement that the retailer had been facing declining sales since filing for bankruptcy protection in 2015 and had no choice but to shut down, end quote. These two announcements are part of a larger trend that we have been witnessing all over the country. As I have documented previously, Macy's announced that it would be closing 100 stores earlier this year, and about the same time, Sears said that it would be closing another 150 stores. Back in 2010, Sears had a staggering 3,555 stores. But their recent announcement, before their recent announcement, Sears was down to 1,503 stores, and now this latest round of cuts will leave them with somewhere around 1,350. Of course, it won't be too long before Sears has zero stores, and my regular readers know that I have been talking about the demise of Sears for a very long time. The cold hard truth of the matter is that the real economy is a total mess, and that is one of the primary reasons why these ridiculous stock market valuations that we are seeing right now are not sustainable. One expert that agrees with my assessment is former Reagan Administrative White House Budget Director David Stockman. In a recent interview, he explained why he believes that everything will grind to a halt after March 15th. Stockman, who wrote a book titled Trump, predicting a Trump victory in 2016, says, I don't think there is a snowball's chance in the hot place that's going to happen. This is delusional. This is the greatest sucker's rally of all time. It is based on pure hopium and not any analysis at all as what it will take to push through a big tax cut. Donald Trump is in a trap. Today, the debt is $20 trillion. It's 106% of GDP. Trump is inheriting a built-in deficit of $10 trillion over the next decade under current policies that are built in. Yet, he wants more defense spending, not less. He wants drastic sweeping tax cuts for corporations and individuals. He wants to spend more money on border security and law enforcement. He is going to do more for the veterans. He wants this big trillion-dollar infrastructure program you put all that together in its madness. It doesn't even begin to add up, and it won't happen when you're struggling with the $10 trillion of debt that's coming down the pike and the $20 trillion that's already on the books. Then Stockman drops this bomb and says, I think what people are missing is this date, March 15, 2017. That's the day that this debt ceiling holiday that Obama and uh, 
Boehner put together right before the last election in October of 2015. That holiday expires. The debt ceiling will freeze in at $20 trillion. It will then be law. It will be a hard stop. The Treasury will have roughly $200 billion in cash. We are burning cash at $75 billion a month rate. By summer, they will be out of cash. Then we will be in the mother of all debt ceiling crises. Everything will grind to a halt. I think we will have a government shutdown. There will not be Obamacare repeal and replace. There will be no tax cut. There will be no infrastructure stimulus. There will be just one giant fiscal bloodbath over a debt, debt ceiling that has to be increased and no one wants to vote for. End quote. In that same interview, Stockman also predicted the markets will easily correct by 20% and probably a lot more. And he noted the glaring disconnect between current stock prices and how the U.S. economy is actually performing. Quote, the S&P 500 has been trading at 26 times earnings, while earnings have been dropping for the past six or seven quarters. There is no booming recovery coming. There is going to be a recession, and there will be no stimulus baton to bail it out. That is the next fact that either Trump nor the Wall Street gamblers remotely understand. End quote. It is very difficult to argue with Stockman on this. There are some people out there that seem to think that Donald Trump can miraculously turn the U.S. economy around just because he is Donald Trump. It doesn't work that way. We are, we are, 20, we are $20 trillion in debt, and we are currently adding about a trillion dollars a year to that total. There is no possible way that Trump can cut taxes, increase military spending, build a border wall, spend much more on veterans, and spend an extra trillion dollars on rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure. We are flat broke as a nation, and there simply is not money available to do everything that Donald Trump wants to do. So we shall see what happens after March 15th. Unfortunately, I happen to agree with Stockman that economic reality is about to come knocking and Trump and his supporters are about to get a very rude wake-up call. So, um, you know, when you read something like that, I mean, that's kind of scary. But we've been reading stuff like that for a long, long time. In fact, I think I always talk about this. The very first article I posted on Prepper website was an economic or financial crash collapse type article uh and so we're we're always seeing these people you know get worried and then nothing happens and so we tend to like you know hey start to take a deep breath and 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 next time someone is warning us we don't really take it seriously it's almost like uh the preparedness community or the economic community the alternative news media has been crying wolf for so long and then people are like whatever and then you have the conservative or the republicans who um you know they see Donald Trump and they see you know everything is like hey it's, it's getting better so that's not you know yesterday we talked a little bit about uh you know not letting your guard down we read an article yesterday go check that podcast out if you haven't and so I agree with that and continue to agree with the fact that our e- economic situation is not good. And so, you know, a little trigger, a little black swan event can cause all kinds of things going on. You have things going on in Europe. You have, uh, you know, economies over there that aren't doing well. And uh, so it's definitely something that we should be aware about. So uh, not to live in fear. Uh, those of you who have been following me for a while know that I'm a believer. Uh, I have a strong faith in Jesus Christ. But um, so I'm always aware, though, you know, I, I'm not walking in fear. I'm not worrying, you know, the, the sky is falling. 
but definitely we should be staying aware. We should be staying up to date on what's going on. And, uh, you know, that's why articles like this are, are important. And so go check that article out. There's a lot of links that he links to, and uh, he backs it up with, um, like I said, with other articles. He's just not giving his opinion. All right, so let's move to another article, just a little bit more positive. Uh, I'm going to let you know that this article has, has re received a lot of traction. Uh, there's a lot of shares on the website, and then I noticed on Facebook it was getting a lot of hits, and then also on Prepper website it was one of those popular ones. And so uh, the title of this uh, article is The Ultimate Guide to Dutch Oven Cooking, and it's coming to us from Survival Sullivan. And, um, you know, Dutch oven cooking is something that, you know, a lot of people are very, very interested in. And we do have a lot of other articles on Prepper website about it as well. So let's go ahead and read this and, uh, and move from there. I think you're going to enjoy this one. There is much pride to be ha had by creating a recipe that cannot be duplica duplicated. It is not always the ingredients that makes the dish. Both the cookware used and the method of achieving mouthwatering results are becoming lost to today's microwave happy generation. A bag of ingredients can be purchased, poured into a bread maker, and a generic loaf of bread is born. Some shrimp can be poured into a bowl along with a full packet of ingredients, and after being nuked in a microwave, you have something that tastes like rubbery shrimp scampi. If we take away electricity, dumping stuff into a bowl or pan would be just the beginning. We need the cookware and the know-how of past generations to create home-cooked meals and under rustic or emergency conditions. Enter the Dutch oven, the preferred cookware of our ancestors and outdoor enthusiasts in the know. Versatility. The most obvious reason to own a Dutch oven is the flexibility of the cookware itself. With the lid on, the vessel can be used, as its name implies, to bake everything from a bread to cakes and pies. Remove the lid and we have a sturdy pot to create soups, stews, and sauces. Flip the lid over and use it as a griddle for breakfast items like sausage and hotcakes. See below. Dutch ovens have different designs created to suit your intended cooking method. Many have tripod legs to elevate the oven and allow cooking over a fire or coals. These types also have rimmed lids to allow coals to be stacked on top of the oven. Some Dutch ovens have smooth bottoms and round tops designed to be used with modern cooktops and ovens. For our purposes, we will focus on the legged design most often associated with outdoor cooking. Cast iron. For some, the advantages gained by cooking with cast iron are outweighed by the heaviness and unique properties of the cookware. Try not to fall into this group. Cast iron heats evenly, holds heat better, and is healthier than modern cookware. Small amounts of iron are released into your food during the cooking process. This decreases the need for the intake of supplements. The roughness of the surface is created when molten metal is poured into sand molds. Over time, this roughness diminishes and the surface becomes smooth and quite non-stick. A well-seasoned piece of cast iron releases food as well as most newfangled non-stick surfaces, plus has the advantage of heat resistance against all but smelting temperatures. Selecting a Dutch oven. If we only look at Dutch ovens with legs, there are still numerous decisions to be made. First, make sure the legs are long enough. Between one and a half inches and three inches will work well. This not only allows coals underneath, but also allows ovens to be stacked so that the coals on top of one are the bottom coals for the next. Look for consistency. The sides and the lids should have a uniform thickness throughout. This affects not only the evenness of heat entering the oven, but ensures a good seal between the pot and lid. A 10 or 12 inch Dutch oven is a good starting point. 
Smaller ovens can be used for a couple of people and large ones for larger groups. Going with a 16-inch Dutch oven to start can be a mistake. The weight and size of a 16-incher is impressive. It is also likely to get used less due to the hassle of transporting it. Another consideration on size is the depth. They do make Dutch ovens. They do make deep Dutch ovens. These are fine for deep frying or items that rise like breads, etc. Choosing a standard depth often keeps the heat closer to the top of your food when cooking. Select from a known manufacturer. It may seem impossible to mess up when manufacturing cast iron products. Some companies still do. Stick with tried and true names like Lodge, Camp Chef, GSI, Tech Sport, or oldies but goodies like Griswold. Tools of the trade. There are some basic accessories that make Dutch ovens cooking more user friendly. While these are not required, I would seriously consider most of them. A lid, lid lifter enables cook to remove lid without losing, ash, losing ashes into food. Briquette chimney starter gets coals ready for long cooking periods. Welder's glove cast iron gets hot, hot, hot. A rack keeps roasting food out of juices in bottom of oven. Small steel plate. Put your chimney starter on it. Put your oven on it. Keeps coals off the ground, reducing the risk and keeping reducing fire risk and keeping briquettes or coals from smothering out. A meat thermometer takes guesswork out of not having knobs. A straw whisk broom removes ashes from lids. A plastic broom will melt to your oven. Charcoal briquettes. If you do not have a good bed of hardwood coals to work with, charcoal briquettes are considered acceptable. Only the most hardened of cowpokes would sneer at a Dutch oven cook using charcoal. Use a chimney fire starter to get the amount you need started and glowing before using them. Seasoning. Uh, oh, you know what? Coming back to that, um, tools of the trade, there is uh, a chain mesh uh, scrubber that is that's uh, very very useful very popular and uh, I'm going to link to that and then there was other uh, another item that recently came out in fact um, there was videos on it all over Facebook and you could do all different kinds of things with with uh, the item I can't remember the name of it right but listening or, or reading all those tools of the trade I remembered I'm going to go back and try to find it and I'll link to it in uh, in the show notes of the of the podcast so you can take a look at it but i i know that when i uh bought it off of amazon there was a like a two months back order that it was so popular so hopefully they fixed that up by now all right so let's go ahead and continue on seasoning while most manufacturers tout a pre-seasoned finish both new and old cast iron dutch ovens will benefit from additional seasoning for new vessels clean under hot water with a brush or sponge for used items a hot and soapy soak may be needed to dislodge carbon and other foreign materials Anytime a piece of cast iron is washed, it must be immediately dried and given a light coat of oil to prevent rust. To re-season cast iron, preheat a conventional oven to 350. Please note that a large outdoor barbecue works well for this. And lightly coat all surfaces with vegetable oil, lard, or Crisco type product. Do not use olive oil or butter as they contain proteins that can turn rancid over time. Place the cookware into the heated oven and bake it for at least an hour. Remove the Dutch oven and lid from the heat. Give it another light coat of oil. This can be repeated as many times as needed. The end goal is a black and shiny coating on the iron surface. What not to cook? Once again, almost anything can be cooked in a cast iron. Dutch oven once it is well seasoned. A bit of prudence is suggested until that seasoned surface is obtained. High acid items like tomato sauce or recipes with vinegar may ruin a fledgling seasoning. 
Recipes with milk require extra attention whether using a new non-stick pan or cast iron. Either can, either can be turned into a hot mess if milk is allowed to burn or boil over. Start instead with fatty items like pork sausage, hamburger, or better yet, use the Dutch oven base to deep fry a few batches of fish. This highly heated oil seeps easily into the cast iron surface. The process. There is a nice little graphic here about uh, looking at the size of the Dutch oven and then uh, how many uh, bottom charcoal briquettes you should have and then how many briquettes you should have on the top to, uh, to, to cook your food that, that's in that size Dutch oven. So you might want to go ahead and, and take a look at that. So continuing on, I have mentioned deep frying and range top cooking, but have yet to touch on the culinary preparation method where Dutch ovens go above and beyond everyday cookware. It is, after all, an oven. When created, the Dutch oven was designed to produce an environment like your modern stove or conventional oven. Heat surrounds the food to bake, roast, or steam it to perfection. Modern ovens do much of the work for us. To cook using a Dutch oven, you need to remember a basic rule that has been moved to the back of our modern brains. Heat goes up. To cook evenly, especially when roasting or baking, more heat must come from above than below. It seems counterintuitive, but look at your conventional oven when baking or roasting. The top element or burner will be working hard as the bottom element coasts along. To provide an even 360 degree cooking environment, heat must be radiated from above. As such, more coals are needed on the lid than below your cast iron cooker, usually about twice as many. The chart will get you close for any Dutch oven, but remember that conditions like temperature and wind will affect the amount of heat that gets to your food. Cooking School Let's go through a couple of recipes to ensure you have the basics of Dutch oven cookery well in hand. Roasted Chicken To roast a whole chicken, the best bet is probably a 12D oven. That is a deep oven with a 12-inch diameter. Rub the inside of the oven with cooking oil or lard. Place a rack or, or trivet in the bottom of the oven to keep the chicken from burning on the heated bottom. Place about 30 cold briquettes in a large chimney starter and follow manufacturer's directions to get briquettes started. While waiting for the briquettes, we can return our attention to the chicken. Wash the chicken under cool water and pat dry with paper towels. Trussing the chicken will allow for more uniform baking. Rub the outside of the chicken with vegetable oil. Season liberally with salt, pepper, and your choice of additional spices. You can make lemon pepper chicken, garlic chicken, or just use the salt and pepper for a roasted chicken. Place the chicken breast down on the rack inside the Dutch oven. Place the lid on the oven. Dump 10 or 12 coals on a metal plate or flat surface. Set the oven over the coals. If the coals are really warm, it may be necessary to wring them. In other words, just place them around the outside edges of the oven. Pour about 18 briquettes on top and arrange them evenly. Walk away. After 30 minutes, carefully lift the lid and check the cooking process. Turn the chicken onto its back. Replace the lid and continue cooking. Depending on the size of the chicken and outside conditions, allow about 20 minutes before checking again. Use a meat thermometer to check for doneness. Safety guidelines have been lowered to the suggested internal temperatures of at least 165 degrees Fahrenheit. Make sure all the chicken is at least 165 degrees before removing it from the oven. If more browning is needed, remove oven from the bottom coals and add everything to the top, creating a broiler effect. Once the chicken is sufficiently browned and heated, you are ready to serve. Cornbread If you have a favorite recipe for cornbread, use it. If not, any cornbread mix from the store will work fine in a Dutch oven. Dutch ovens are quite forgiving when it comes to baking. Just remember that much more heat is needed from above than below. 
most stores mixes or home re- or home recipes are for a certain pan size. It could be eight by eight or ten by ten in most cases. A standard ten inch Dutch oven works well for cornbread. Get your coals ready for you or use a chimney starter to fire up some charcoal briquettes. Grease or oil the inside of your oven when starting with the dough or batter. It is easy to apply too much heat to the underside of the oven. Place the coals in a circle just under the edge of your oven. Pour in the cornbread batter, place the lid, and put about 15 coals on top. Cornbread in a Dutch oven is much like a pancake on a griddle. You will see changes that alert you to how done the batter is. After 10 minutes, lift the entire oven and turn 90 degrees. Lift the lid and quickly assess the cooking process. Are the edges pulling away from the pan? If the edges are not too brown, that is a good sign. If the edges are getting brown but the middle is not set at all, pull back the bottom coals a bit. Turn the lid 90 degrees from its original position and replace. Unlike many recipes, the check check often from that point on. Cornbread should only take 15 to 25 minutes from the time it is placed in the oven. Cleanup. When the Dutch oven is empty, place back over the heat. Once heated, pour in a small amount of water. This is basically a deglazing process and should loosen any remaining food particles. Dump out the hot water, scrub with a brass pad if necessary, and rinse. Reapply a coating of oil to all surfaces if a bit of maintenance is needed. Place back on the heat to allow the oil to heat and reseason. Never leave moisture in the Dutch oven when storing. It should be clean and oiled. A piece of crumpled newspaper will help ensure moisture has a place to go with proper care. A Dutch oven will give you, and possibly another generation, a lifetime of cooking memories. i got to tell you that I did find uh, a great uh, uh, Dutch or uh, cast iron griddle at Walmart one time I was passing by and it was mismarked and I got a great deal so there's always deals out there just kind of pay attention but I would tell you that if you ever find some kind of cast iron out there a cooking cast iron at a garage sale or at a thrift store don't hesitate to pick that up even if it looks really bad even if it there's a lot of people out there that just don't know about cast iron even if it looks really bad and rusty you can bring that home and you can season that up and uh, make it look brand spanking new just like that so don't ever don't ever pass up the opportunity to buy a used uh, piece of cast iron cookware out there all right. Well, um, that's it for this episode. Um, before I go, if I, again, if I can ask you for that big favor, just kind of share out uh, the Prepper Website podcast with your friends. You know, do it on on social media. We've got links to all our social media accounts, and and we've made it really easy for you to kind of share it out. Um, word of mouth is is definitely one of those things that always helps out. So sharing it out that way as well is a, is a big benefit to getting the word out there. We want it to be a blessing and we want it to be um, something beneficial for the preparedness community. We, I'm already get, seeing some great numbers as far as the analytics come through. So I'm really happy about that. I really appreciate everybody who's liking and sharing um, uh, the post on, on Facebook. So thank you so much for that. And so if you have a chance, come by the, the website, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Uh, drop me a line or two. Um, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I always like to hear from from people, from listeners, and then people that are reading the website, and just kind of like to hear, you know, where you're where you're coming from, what part of the country you're in. Uh, that's always neat to hear. So anyway, we'll be back tomorrow with more great articles to share. And don't forget, there's always a ton of great articles on PrepperWebsite.com. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.